Let's clap. Let's, uh, let's give it up for Jesus in this place, all right? There we go. Because <laughs> that's who it's all about, right? Amen? It's all about who? All about who? <laughs> like Jesus, right? Y'all, y'all seen that movie? Jesus. Sorry, I mean, I can't even remember the name of that movie. The Apostle. Yeah, that's a good movie. The Apostle. Apostle. All right. <laughs> so I was thinking about, have you guys ever, like, has, has anybody in here ever played with a Magic 8 ball before? Yeah. Okay, isn't that thing torture? I mean, seriously, every question you ask, it's like the opposite of what you want it to be, right? Maybe for you lucky ones, it's always the one you want. Please ask later. Uh, I hate that. How many, how many of y'all, like, when you were growing up, made your own Magic 8 ball? Only Mike? I didn't. I just, I don't know why that question popped in my head. It's like, it's like I'm going fishing. <laughs> it's like random stuff, you know, like have you ever fed a baby? <laughs> That's just random, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Those say, you ever got, I don't even know what they, what do they call that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. All I remember is that I, I'm, I thank the Lord that this really didn't happen to me, but every time I played that game, MASH, Growing up, you know, where they have mash at the top. Then you had your cars on the left and your, the, girl, the girls and the colors and the numbers, right? I always ended up marrying, like, having a trashy car, marrying an ugly chick, having way too many kids. And, like, it never was my favorite color. Yeah, like, an ugly color. It was, like, fuchsia. It's like a fuchsia pinto, right? Never mind. I don't know. I'm thankful that I have a beautiful wife. Amen. I have a beautiful wife, a beautiful son, and, uh, and another one on the way, and I have a beautiful home. I'm thankful that those things really didn't come true in my life. This is Magic 8-Ball. So you all play with it, right? So when I was in high school, I had this teacher that if you had a question in class that had to do with maybe going to the restroom, you had to consult the Magic 8-Ball. And so, for some odd reason, I was the only one in class that never got to leave when I needed to go to the bathroom. Everyone else would be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, whatever answer was, they'd get to leave and go. But I'd go up and be like, your future is uncertain. <laughs> like, you know, so I, like, I never got to go to the restroom in class, at least for this teacher, because they had the Magic 8 ball and it just never went my way. What's that? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, I doubt it. It was doubt, it was just... It's just the way it goes in my life. See, future is uncertain. Well, how many know that our future is not uncertain in Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. Tonight, we're going to be reading out of uh, Galatians. Um, So if you turn your Bibles there, uh, you can throw that stuff up if you want. Like the background and stuff. You guys working on that one? Tonight's message is entitled, The Original Freedom. And I'm not going to lie. I say that phrase a lot. You might hear me say that a lot tonight, but I'm not going to lie. Um, I read many articles, listened to many podcasts, um, gleaned many things from Pastor G and Aaron. Um, but how many know that when you preach a message, it's really a collaboration of everything God's speaking to your heart, but yet everything you've heard from the Word of God, amen, whether it's God speaking to you or man speaking it 
So it's kind of a conglomerate of information. I'm going to go to my notes quite a bit because, honestly, I haven't spoke this message before, so this will be new and fresh, not only for me, but for you. But this is a message that has really touched my heart and touched my life. And God has really radically changed my views on, on life and liberty and freedom. And so uh, as we talk about the original freedom tonight, I want to encourage you to take notes there's going to be a lot of information. At some point, I'm going to have to kind of cut to the chase um, just so I get, I get some points in towards the end. But we're in Galatians this evening, and you can turn there, chapter 1. Still working on that whole deal. It's all right. It's all right. All right, so we'll just get going. Um, the original freedom. So the book of Galatians, we're going to kind of give you guys a little bit of history on the book of Galatians and Paul's, um, why Paul read it. Um, I kind of like, Judah Smith has got this, he's got this really cool podcast about freedom and she listens to it. Who else listens? Anybody else listen to Judah Smith in here sometimes? All right. So I like Judah Smith. I like how he brings the rawness of the gospel out, kind of like the book of Mark. You know, but he really cuts to the point, and he gets excited, you know, and sometimes we go to, th- we go to like, events in our life, you know, where we get excited. How many of y'all go to, like, high school football games, basketball games, things like that, right? You guys, you guys don't go in it? Is y'all in drama in this place? Everybody's in drama, no one likes sports. Oh, you're the one in the game. Okay, so anybody else who's not in the game, who's not in drama, enjoys sports, likes to go, and they cheer on their team, right? Y'all have teams you cheer on, right? You gone to a football. So who's, who's been to a football game in here before, and you actually raised your voice kind of loud in the game, cheering for your team? All right. So we all have an understanding of what it's like to go somewhere and be excited about something that's going on. And we, you know, we get into it. We raise our voice. You know, how many of y'all have been to, like, a, a pro sports game? I know the Ely's have been here. They get all nuts. If you want to go and enjoy a game, don't go with the Ely's because you can't hear anything. They're yelling the whole time. Hey, dude, it's true. It is the truth. The God, God's honest truth. I cannot tell a lie. I'm an honest John. All right? Scout's honor. I don't know what that means. Casey knows what that means, though, all right? That whole... I, okay, anyways. <laughs> but how many... You've been to a game. You see these people get excited. Who... who who in here is a Raiders fan? Maybe like a Bucks fan. Oh, I got a, some Bucks and Raiders fans back there. Raiders fans are crazy. They're nuts. They will eat your soul. <laughs> I'm not joking. Buck fans are the same. But have you ever been to a pro sports game or been to a, like a large game? You know, as people get excited, they get loud. You know, some people come in with their foamy hat thing on. You know, the foamy finger says number one, right? The number one. So... I don't know what it is, but when you get in church, you go to a sports game, and you may lose your mind, lose your voice, maybe even your soul when you go to a sports game, right? Or maybe if you've been watching it TV, just screaming at the, at the TV screen, you know, like, it's like, go! Whatever you're saying, the guy on the, what's that guy on the radio that says, go! they score in soccer? Okay, I gave soccer a little shout out. I'm not a soccer fan, but I just, that's one of the things I could remember. But people get crazy. Fans get crazy at these things. Yet we come to church and we get all quiet, like we're at a funeral. Jesus died. Nobody talk. Nobody talk. Be quiet. We don't want to disturb the dead, right? 
Well, let me disturb you a little bit tonight. If you've got to put your foam finger on, this is Jesus is number one, right? Or you put you, your foam star David on your head or whatever you've got to do. We're in church. We're going to get loud a little bit. Amen? Right? We're in church. It's okay to, to laugh, to cry sometimes, but wait, wait till the altar for that, please. All right? And it's okay. Let's just get excited. We serve a great God. We serve an amazing God, Jesus, and he's worthy to be praised. And we come in here, we just can't get all quiet. Don't get all quiet on me. And I'm going to be honest, like, gee, if you don't talk, maybe like more like Danny, if you don't talk back, I just don't speak very well. So I need some feedback from you guys. I need to know that you're into it. Yeah, I know. Isn't that cool? I like that. All right, so we're in Galatians tonight, all right? So the book of Galatians, most dangerous book in all of the Bible. And you're like, how the heck is Galatians? How can you tell me that Galatians is the most dangerous book in all the Bible? I'm going to give you some facts here. German reformer Martin Luther said this was the book where he caught the revelation and transformed orthodoxy as we know it today. You know, it's funny. Who knows anything about Martin Luther? Yeah, so this guy, whether you recognize it or not, has kind of helped shape how you think and how you act and how you live today. This guy, this German reformer, he reads the book of Galatians and it just radically changes his whole way of thinking, his whole life. And it changes his doctrine. It spins everything around. It says, in fact, uh, Martin Luther said he, he, um, he said he was married to Galatians. He likened the book of Galatians to his wife. I don't know if his wife was very uh, excited about that. But he said that he was married to the, to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians changed Luther's life and ultimately ours, whether we recognize it or not. So it was written in, it, uh, written in the early to mid-AD 50s to a group of churches Paul started. So let's, let's just dive right in here. Uh, our, uh, our featured text tonight is going to be Galatians 5.1. I want to read it to you really quick. It's actually on the screen down here at the bottom. But it says this, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Let me read that one more time. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke, by a yoke of slavery. So we notice a couple things here. We notice that Christ, in this scripture, in this verse, it talks about how Christ makes us free. So make no mistake, the only freedom that we have in this life is truly found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So there's no, there's no man, no, no event, nothing in this world around us in a, that can get any credit other than Jesus Christ who brings us our true freedom. That's who we're talking about tonight, the original freedom. It also indicates that we can actually, and this is probably where some people kind of, this may blow your box apart a little bit. This scripture also indicates that we could actually return to a yoke of bondage. So for those of you who think that you can just, you get saved, and no matter what, you're good. This scripture indicates that maybe we can return to a yoke of bondage. Let that sink in a little bit. If you have any questions, we may answer some of them tonight. So let's, let's just get right into our main text here. Read, uh, we're going to read Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. Say amen when you're there. All right, Paul, verse 1. Paul, an apostle sent from God... 
uh, um, or sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Skip down to verse 6 here. It says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for um, the life of the patriarchs who have given us an example on which to, to, uh, to live our lives, Lord. But we follow you, Jesus. We follow you. We follow and we lift uh, and pick up our cross and carry it, Lord, as we serve you. Lord, we ask, God, that in this place tonight, God, there would be freedom in this place, Lord, that we would have a realization, God, a fresh revelation of freedom in this place, Lord, that we could live our lives in a pleasing way to you, not pleasing to man, not pleasing to ourselves, Lord, but pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try, no hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it's, it isn't hard to do, nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can. You need no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. You may say that I'm a dreamer. But I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. That was a song written by John Lennon in 1973. You know, when we read this song, has anyone ever watched on TV like the ball drop um, for uh, New, Year's, New Year's Eve, right? We've watched that before, right? Um, and listen to this podcast by Judy. He talks about this a little bit. And he said it's been very, uh, if you watch it lately, they've been playing this song by John Lennon a lot, you know. This last year, this last year during New Year's Eve, and the ball drops, you know, they're talking about all these people, millions of people. You know, they, they say over a million people showed up in Times Square to celebrate New Year's. And they get together and they're talking about how these people are coming together in unity. There's no fighting. There's no, there's no writing. There's peace. Everybody's, everybody's enjoying themselves. And then the ball drops. They play, they play a song by John Lennon called Imagine. You know, when I listened to this song before, has anyone ever heard this song before by John Lennon? Right, so if you've listened to the song, you listen to the song, he, he was the lead singer, uh, one of the lead singers for the Beatles for many years before he went and did his own thing. But he writes this song, and as I listen to this song and I read through these lyrics, I notice something, that this, this wasn't just a regular song. See, the, the words that he wrote down and he, he event, like, evidently put to music, um, this was a cry. This, is a, this was a cry of a culture, of a generation for freedom. If you really study these lyrics out, it, it was a cry of a generation for freedom. And I think about this generation that lived in the 70s. Who was born in the 70s in here? Anybody born in the 70s in here? 70s over there? What year were you born? 72. Whoa. All right. 78. Anybody else? 79. I know me. I'm, I'm old. I, I get it. Right? 79 there. Anybody else? So we're all the old geezer. Anybody old, like born in the 60s? Right. Well, 
When we think about this generation, the 70s and the 60s, there was a lot of... You could, I, what is the first thing you think of when you think of the 70s? I think of hippies. Does anyone else think of hippies when you think of the 70s? Right? Nam. Nam. Right? If you said Nam to a veteran, they'd get really upset. I know that. I've, I've been through that. I've been in that moment before. <laughs> You're like, you don't know anything about Vietnam. But we think about this generation and their cry for freedom, and they, it, it's amazing how this generation... They found freedom in music. They found freedom in all these other things than church. I mean, that, and it really wasn't a true freedom, but they were searching. They were searching for a freedom. I found some other quotes from some other men, some singer songwriters of that same generation, and I would like to read them to you. It says, Every day people are, staying, are straying away from church and going back to God. That's Lenny Bruce. The world is ready for a mystic revolution, a discovery of the God in each of us. That's George Harrison. He was also one of the Beatles. Sex, drugs, and insanity have always worked for me, but I wouldn't recommend them for everybody. Hunter S. Thompson. Time to live, time to die, time to laugh, time to lie. Take it easy, baby. Take it as it comes. Jim Morrison. Has anyone ever heard of The Doors? Old band. I know I'm speaking to a younger generation that may not know this music. You have to forget about what other people say when you're supposed to die, when you're supposed to be loving You have to forget about all these things. You have to go on and be crazy. Craziness is like heaven. Jimi Hendrix. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you'll get what you need. Rolling stones. A man is a success if he gets up in the morning, gets to bed at night, and in between he does what he wants to do. That was Bob Dylan. A friend is a person who lets you have total freedom to be yourself. Jim Morrison. These philosophies, these ways of thinking, these ideologies, whether you recognize it or not, those ideas, these spoken words spoken in the 60s and the 70s have helped shape a generation today. And you may not realize it, but the things that we're saying back then and the the way that kids were brought up, maybe your parents, um, has affected how you think, how you act, the way, the things that you believe, even, even as a Christian. Our society today has been affected by the ideals of the 60s and 70s. This generation was attempting to discover liberty and freedom for themselves. There's an inner desire in all of us for true liberty and freedom. So regardless of all these ideals and philosophies, the Bible declares, and I want to I state this big and bold tonight, the Bible declares that there is only one source for true authentic freedom, and that freedom is in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So, as we look at this old generation, and we're going to talk a little bit about the 60s and 70s tonight, there was a lot of babies being born. Ever heard of the baby boomer generation, right? Maybe some of your parents are a part of that generation. But a lot of babies were born during this time period, and they were raised on these same ideals, these same opinions, these ideologies, the theories, the philosophies. Um, Which over time, your parents, these ideas and these theories and philosophies became more concrete over the years. And now, your parents, and maybe you don't realize this, but that generation was raised up with no absolutes. That generation was raised with no absolutes. I don't know about you, but when somebody punches me in the face, it absolutely hurts. (laughs) All right? 
When somebody breaks up with me or breaks my heart, it absolutely hurts. If I fell off a building and broke my leg, it would absolutely hurt. I mean, I, the laundry list gets longer. There's so many things in life and in the, that you don't realize are absolutes. The idea that there is no absolute truth is an absolute statement in itself. And so we find this generation, it's not raised on, that's raised with no absolutes. There can be no absolutes, yet we see the same generation now returning to orthodoxy, returning to the church, returning to find truth, returning to try and find absolute truth. Because they've lived their lives with no absolutes and they've found nothing but hurt and pain. And some of you in this room have been affected by that hurt and pain. But today we're seeing a resurgence back to orthodoxy and the Bible. Amen. In March 2009, Time magazine released 10 ideas that would reshape today's world. Number three on their list was New Calvinism or Neo-Calvinism. You know, it's funny. Calvinism, it's this, it's, it's a theology, right? It's a doctrine. This Calvinism that the, church, or the people this generation is returning to was written 500 years ago. 500 years ago. Something 500 years ago is now still affecting our generation. In fact, it's causing us to go back to it because people are searching for truth. They're searching for true freedom. This same generation in this room is crying out for real truth, absolute truth. Being hurt absolutely hurts. We already talked about this. This is the church's chance to give an answer, not religion, works, not our ideas, but Jesus. You and I have this opportunity. It's a great opportunity. Because of the resurgence back to the church and back to the Bible, people are searching for truth. And you and I in this room, we have the truth. We have the answer to real freedom, to the original freedom, and that's Jesus Christ. Not your ideas, not your doctrines, not your religion of do's and don'ts, but Jesus Christ. And if we don't take that opportunity, if we don't take that chance to share that, that truth, that Jesus, that love that he's given us, that we can freely give, if we don't, then history will repeat itself and we will find ourselves falling back to no absolutes. We have the answer, it's Jesus. And because of all this, this kind of brings us to the book of Galatians. All right, so we're about the book of Galatians tonight. And Paul writes this book, led by the Holy Spirit. And I want to make that clear. It's not just, the Bible isn't just like written by men, and we're hoping that God's in the midst of it. No, men, godly men, they wrote what God inspired their hearts to write. So every word is God-breathed. Amen? The Bible even says that itself, that every word, the very word of God is God-breathed. So he wrote this church to a multiplicity of churches in a region called Asia Minor. This book is unlike any other book written by Paul. And I want to make that clear. You can't read every, every letter by Paul just like you're going to read this one. He gets right to the point in this book. He doesn't beat around the bush in this one. He gets right to the point because you have to understand something about Paul. In this letter that he's writing to these churches, he has coming up against something that is, thwart, is thwarting freedom, the original freedom. The original truth that he shared with the churches and the, and the truth and the purity that these churches were founded on in the beginning, there is people coming and trying to destroy that truth. They're trying to add to it. They're trying to make it of no value. They're trying to 
throw, throw Paul's whole mission off course. So he gets right to the point. Paul gets, Paul's angry because the liberty and freedom that comes from the, the authentic gospel was being thwarted. So how is this relevant to us today? You're like, what does this really mean for me? So we preach Jesus about knowing, uh, we, we preach Jesus, but without knowing, our humanism creeps in and we begin to mix the gospel with man's works and man's efforts. I'm going to read that again. We preach Jesus, but without knowing our humanism, me, creeps in and we begin to mix the gospel with man's works. Now, I don't think most of us would say in this place that we believe in salvation by works. But the church of today, I'd say globally the church of today, preaches salvation by character. If you have good character, if you do good things, it's all based on character. It's our do-goodism. It's my resume. It's, it's what I'm about. It's everything. It's what I put my hand to that gets me salvation. But you're not saved by the content of your character, but by the content of the character of Jesus Christ. Your character is hopeless. Your character is hopeless without Jesus. But some of us in this room have actually allowed this way of thinking to creep into our minds. We're like, yes, Jesus did this, but what is my responsibility? What do I have to do? And this is the mentality that Paul opposes in his book, in Galatians. He opposes it. In fact, he says it's demonic. In chapter 3, he says, who, who bewitched you? In the first verse, who has bewitched you? Who put a spell on you that you think that you can do it by your own works? We are saved by grace through faith alone. We are saved by grace through faith alone. Your customs and traditions cannot save you. It's more about God than it is about you. It is more about God than it is about you. You have to understand Paul's frustration in this situation because in Paul's past, he was raised in this way of thinking. It was all about works. It was what I did. It was the Ten Commandments. He was raised in Judaism. And he sees this creeping into his church that he's preached the pure gospel to. He said it's not by works, but it's by grace through faith that we're saved. And these guys are coming into the church, and G alluded to this last week, and they're saying that, yes, Jesus this, Jesus is good, preach Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, worship Jesus, Jesus is great, but what are you doing? That's what these guys were saying. They were saying that it, it was Jesus plus. It's this Jesus plus mentality. Jesus is great, what he did on the cross is great, but I've got to add my works to make it valid. And that is heresy. That's heresy. Because anything, to add anything to what Jesus has done on the cross, takes the glory away from Jesus and gives us the glory. It is biblically impossible, I like this statement, it is biblically impossible to give Jesus too much credit for his work on our behalf. You can't give him too much credit. He deserves all the credit. So why is Paul so emphatic about this? And why is liberty a reoccurring theme in Galatians? 
We talked about this because he's fighting against the bondage brought about by customs, traditions, and religion. We're talking about real freedom tonight, original freedom. His, church, his churches were founded on the pure gospel. Grace through faith, you are, by, by grace through faith you are saved. It is through Jesus Christ that you are saved. Ephesians 2, 8 through, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Verse 9, not by works so that no one can boast. See, after starting these churches, while Paul is gone, these false teachers, legalists, Judaizers, come in. And when we think about false teachers, we think they're coming in and be like, Satan, you need to worship Satan. Don't worry about Jesus, just worship Satan. Right? That's our idea of a false teacher. They're going to come in. They're going to make it cut and dry. They're not even going to talk about Jesus. They're just going to talk about how you need to do everything else but Jesus. But these guys that came into the church at this point, they were a little more slick than that. They had a better idea of how they were going to get their point across. They first discredited Paul and his message. And their message was that you had to add to the work of Jesus... That was accomplished on the cross. So what they're saying is, is that no matter what, Jesus, his death on the cross and his love for us and the blood that he shed on the cross for us isn't good enough. I don't know how many of y'all in here really believe that. I, I wouldn't say that if I went up to you and said, do you believe that what Jesus did was good enough for you? I don't think any of you would really say it wasn't. But there's little things that we think. Sometimes, see, we think we got to do good. We got to do all these things to please God, to add to what Jesus did for us, to make our salvation valid. And that way of thinking is wrong. That way of thinking is, that way of speaking, that way of teaching, that's bad doctrine. Because all it does is it causes you to live a life exhausted, never free, never satisfied, always trying to please man, always trying to please yourself, always trying to please God. And you never get there. You're never satisfied. You're never really truly free. In fact, you spend most of your life in bondage. Religion, customs, and traditions say it's not about what Jesus did, but it's about what you're doing. Paul not interested in what <laughs> is not interested in what we're doing to try. He, I'm sorry. Let me read that. Reread that. Paul not interested in what you do. He's not interested in what you do. He's trying to magnify what Jesus has done. I'm going to make this statement. If you live your life in response to what Jesus has done, what you do will be pleasing to God. I'm going to, I want to say that again. If you live your life in response to what Jesus has done in your life, what you do will please God. So if we live in our lives as a response to somebody else doing something for us, who's that really pleasing? By the time we get to Galatians 5.1, we read this word, liberty, a lot. We, hear, we see liberty. Now, Paul says bondage more than he says liberty, but he uses this word liberty, which is the theme of the book. So if you read through Galatians, you're going to find liberty is a, is a huge theme, if not the biggest theme in Galatians, because Paul is defending the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And he does it emphatically. The whole book is straight to the point, fighting for our liberty. So what is this liberty that we're talking about in Galatians? Well, if you were born and raised 
in the ideals of the 60s and 70s, which many, many of us have been, we oftentimes misappropriate the meaning of freedom. The idea of freedom is to us is doing whatever we want whenever we want to do it. I want to encourage you. <laughs> I want to tell you the truth tonight that freedom is not doing whatever you want when you want to do it. That's not freedom. In fact, it could be the best way to describe bondage. Do you notice that what we want sometimes is not consistent with what we want in the future? My flesh wants something now that I may not want for my future. Let me break it down to you in, in, in terms maybe you can understand. Who owns a credit card in this place? Who, who's had debit card maybe? Checking account, but you got overdraft protection, right? Right, maybe? So, but you've been around. Your parents have credit cards, right? Most people in here know what a credit card is, have the understanding of a credit card. Now, a person who has a credit card, let's say they have $10,000 of open credit. They have $10,000 on this credit card they can spend. And they can spend it whenever they want, on whatever they want, within that $10,000. The problem with that is, is if they decide to go spend that $10,000 that really wasn't theirs, then they have to pay it off, and it takes years to pay that off for most people, especially if they pay the, fr- the minimum, who's really free? Is that really free money? No. In fact, you, spend, you actually end up paying back way more than $10,000. So the idea that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, doesn't make any sense when it comes to freedom. In fact, it puts me in bondage most of the time. So what I want in the future is to have a good life. This is what I want in the future. I want to have a good life. I want to have a good marriage. I want to be a good husband. But oftentimes the things I want right now may not allow me to have that kind of a future. So doing whatever I want, whenever I want, is not really freedom. It's more like bondage. You know, they did a psychologist, a psychologist did a study on children playing in this, in this playground. Y'all remember playing a playground in school and they had fences around it? You know, y'all went to the fence because you're like, man, I don't want to be stuck in this place all the time. Psychologists did a study on, on young kids in this playground area. And many of them would play all over the place, run and jump on the fence and try to climb over, but really wouldn't climb over, but they'd go over to the fence, right? So they had this idea that they would test how these kids would react if they removed the fence. So they removed the fence. There was no fence, no boundaries. And you're thinking, oh man, they just went nuts. No, that's not what happened. These kids, they huddled in the, bank, in the middle of the, of the playground and they played in the middle, never going to the edge, never going out, never going beyond where the fence was. And so they put the fence back, and the kids begin to play on the fence again. And what do we learn, that, learn from this? That no boundaries isn't freedom. Definition, absolutes, and boundaries bring security and ultimate freedom. Jesus offers true freedom. This Greek word liberty, and Paul uses it, it has three meanings. The first meaning is freedom from slavery to sin. Freedom from slavery to sin. Freedom from obligations to sin. Romans 6.14, and I'm going to turn there really, really quick here. Because I want you to, 
want you to hear this. There we go. Romans 6.14, For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the law, but under grace. See, before we knew Jesus, we were obligated to sin. Maybe you didn't realize that, but before Jesus, we just naturally sinned. We lived in sin. Our flesh, our sinful flesh, our, our spirit man was dead in trespasses and sins. And we were not alive unto God. But when Jesus Christ came into our heart, we gave our lives to Jesus. Our sin was made alive unto God. So freedom from slavery to sin. Freedom from obligations to sin. I want to read that scripture in Romans again. For sin shall not be your master, but you are not, uh, because you were not under the law, but under grace. So you're not obligated to sin anymore. You have freedom. Uh, you have freedom from slavery to sin. So that means that you can make a decision right now to not sin. You didn't have that decision before Jesus, but now you do. And you need to understand that because that's a part of your freedom. Number two, freedom from external restraint. Freedom from external restraint. Live a life of freedom and liberty. It's not based on our willpower as if our spirituality is contingent on our willpower, do-goodism, or resume. You know, it's funny. There's a lot of religion out there that preaches this external restraint method. It's I'm going to keep myself clean by my own willpower. I'm going to just, I'm going to do good things. I'm going to make right decisions. I'm going to say right things. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to lead myself in this life, right? And this freedom that people think they have by preaching external restraint is more like bondage than freedom because there's no satisfying feeling. There's nothing in the idea of external restraint that makes me feel good or pleases God, but yet, we find ourselves happy when we say that, oh, I can keep myself from going, I can keep myself from this, I can keep myself from that. External restraint. You know, like, I didn't go watch rated R movie. I made that decision. And you know what happened? Jesus in all of heaven had a glorious party because I didn't see a rated R movie. I'm just telling you. I didn't take a drink of that. I didn't take a drink of that beer. And you know what? Jesus told the angels to glorify him with all they had just because I, I didn't take a drink of that beer. And we think that, that God is pleased with our external restraint. Like, like he's pleased just because we have willpower. And we're not putting any, any trust or anything in him, right? It's all based on us. Legalism is the most popular replace, replacement for true um, spirituality. Legalism is the most popular replacement for true spirituality. <laughs> so you think your law and the way you live your life based on law is really pleasing to God. But more than anything, it's just pleasing to you. It's just all about you. Because that's what legalism is. If you can keep yourself from doing this and doing that, and your do-goodism and your resume looks good to you, that makes you happy. But that's not what true freedom is, and that doesn't please God. It's based on what you do or what you don't do. I don't drink. I don't watch rated R movies. 
I'm going to read you something here. True spirituality is connected to Jesus and the inworking of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's not external restraints. It's become internal desire. Let me read that again, because maybe that'll click something in your mind. True spirituality is connect, sorry, true spirituality is connected to Jesus and the inworking of the Holy Spirit. Now it's not external restraints, it's become internal desires. So when you trade your legalism for a relationship with the Holy Spirit, and you're getting in your word, and you're following God, and you're trusting in Him, and you're doing what He's asking you to do, and you're not basing on your willpower and your ability to do good or to not do good, what happens is something inside of you becomes alive. And it's not about what you do and you don't do. It's about doing what God wants you to do. It's about pleasing God. And when we're led by the Spirit in that way, our spirituality, and it's connected to Jesus, right? And once we become connected to Jesus, it's not about this outward uh, thing. It's about this inward desire. And so it's not about watching, not watching radar movies or not drinking or not this or not doing that. Because I don't have those same desires. I don't have this innate thing in me that says, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. It's God lives inside of me and I have a different point of view. I have a different desire. Now, when we are faced with temptation, our spirit can rise up and say, nope, I'm not going to do that because this is what I really want. We talked about our body in, in this flesh, us wanting to do something now that we may not want to do in the future. And that's what we're talking about in this statement that, nope, I'm not going to do that because that's not what I want. That's not what I really want. Now, I'm internally regulated by the Holy Spirit. I'm free. I'm internally regulated by the Holy Spirit, and that makes me free. Nothing can replace the work of the Holy Spirit. Your pastor isn't your Holy Spirit. Many of you guys come into this place, and you want Pastor G to tell you what's right and what's wrong. I'm going to get real with you for a moment. Many of you come in here, and you're finding your truth, your purity of gospel, and everything in G, and in some of the other leadership in this place, and you're not relying on the Holy Spirit. You're not. What Jesus says to do, you do it. What Jesus says not to do, you don't do it. Whatever it is, you're putting all of this into G. Or maybe Elisha, or maybe some of the other, the other leaders here. And that's not what it's about, guys. You need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. You need to experience true freedom for yourself. You don't need Jesus to be your Holy Spirit. You don't need G to tell you what's right and what's wrong. You can figure that out for yourself through the Holy Spirit. Does that mean that we shouldn't listen to what our pastors preach and, and, and dissect what they're saying and listen to God and hear from God from what they're saying? We should do those things. Those are great. Should we listen to God, godly counsel? Yes. But if you're living from Sunday to Wednesday on the word that's spoken here on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday morning, that's not enough for you guys. You need to hear from God on your own. Number three. Freedom of access. Freedom of access. In John, the Gospel of John, in chapter 10, if I can get there. There we go. It says in verse 9, it says this, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come and come in and go out and find pasture. So this third part, this 
this third meaning of the freedom, the, liber- the word liberty we find here in Galatians, is freedom of access. So we've got freedom from slavery to sin, freedom from external restraint, and freedom of access. We have access through Jesus Christ. One of the doctrines of Galatians is imputation. It speaks of the right of righteousness. Imputed righteousness doesn't just mean that you are forgiven, but it also means that you have been declared righteous. That's what imputed righteousness means. And when we, we, when we have this realization that through Jesus Christ we have access, there isn't, this, there isn't this desire in ourselves anymore to want to have to do the right or wrong thing just so we can gain access to the presence of God. Presence of God. If we're living in Jesus and we're, our focus is Jesus, then our lives are going to be pleasing to God. And that freedom that we have, it gives us access through the Holy Spirit to God in, his, in God's presence. And to live this life of freedom, of real freedom, of original freedom. So you can forget about the stuff that says I can't come to church. See, this is the funny part, is that you do something wrong and you don't want to show your head up at church. You, you don't want to come to church because you don't want anyone to know what's going on in your life. You, don't, you stop reading your Bible. You stop praying. You, start doing all, you stop doing all these things that you know you should do. But you stop doing them because you just don't feel worthy. You don't feel that freedom in your, you. You're just in bondage. And you know deep down inside that the way to get out of that bondage is to go to church. Is to get into your word. Is to pray. To do these things that you know that gives you access to Jesus. But because you're so stuck in bondage, you can't get past it. And you're not experiencing true freedom. And you're still thinking, oh, I can just do whatever I want whenever I want it. We've got to forget about the stuff that says... You can't come to church. You can't read your Bible you, you, or pray because what we've done. The original freedom is not based on what you have done, but it is based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. You know, it's funny. As a key word in the gospel, we never really, we never really think about too much. But that word finished. And we're talking about original freedom. We're talking about the idea that you have to add to what Jesus did on the cross. But it was already finished. Your sin was finished on the cross. Your, your bad lifestyle, the bad decisions, the things that you've done, those things were finished on the cross. And so there's no need to add to what Jesus did. There's no need to, to, uh, to take it another step and say, well, what Jesus did was great, but I, I've got to do this. I've got to do that because uh, otherwise, uh, but it's all about you, isn't it? Because there's this innate thing in, in men, and, and, and I'm going to say women too, because in people, maybe I should say people to be political correct so you all don't like, you know, maybe there's somebody in here that's an alien. So I'll just say people, all right? But there's this, there's this innate thing in us that says we've got to do something. Maybe that's because we're Westerners. We're over here in the West. We've got to do something. We've got to put our hand to the plow. We've got to do this. We've got to earn it. Right? There's this thing inside of us that says we've got to do something. But Jesus is trying to teach us through Paul in this book that there's nothing that we can do. And in fact, if we try to do something, then we make what Jesus did on the cross invalid. So we either got to live by the law or live by grace. 
I want to encourage you guys tonight that if you want to experience real freedom, that freedom is only found in Jesus. It's not found in your do-goodism. It's not found in the things that you can do, what you can put your hand to. It's not based on your resume. It's based on Jesus. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. When you leave here today, your past and present will speak to you and challenge your freedom. John 8.36 says, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. The word no there in that scripture. The word no in the Greek is denosko. It literally means that you will tangibly encounter the truth. The truth is the person, Jesus. Jesus is freedom. Try to imagine that one, John Lennon. You know, a generation that's crying out for true, authentic freedom, they did a terrible job. I mean, just a poor effort. I mean, for them, it was probably great. But, like, they just didn't know. They didn't know. And now, the generation today is crying for absolute truth and real freedom. Freedom that none of those singers, none of, none, no man can give. A freedom that only Jesus can give. And so you gotta, you got to ask your question, yourself a question tonight. Do you want that real freedom? If I could have every ha- uh, head bowed, every eye closed in this place.